Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzen. We have a wonderful musician and a great human being on the show tonight for the whole show. Miss Jennifer Magnus is coming town to play next weekend at the Dakota. She will also be at Mages and Quinn uh, to have a, a talk about her new book, Weeds Like Us, and... Uh, uh, I've, I haven't seen Geneva in years, but uh, back when I was booking Famous Days Barbecue and Blues, back in the day I had Geneva in a couple of times, and uh, her career has really taken off since then. Uh, she's uh, been uh, nominated for one Grammy Award. She has 12 albums out, seven Blues Music Foundation Awards. She's been nominated uh, for the Blues Music Awards 28 times. In 2009... The, she won the B.B. King Entertainer of the Year Award, the o- only the second woman after Coco Taylor to get uh, that sort of acclaim. She's a, a great blues singer. She is now working as well in the Americana fields, and uh, she is sassy as the day is long. Jennifer Magnus from Los Angeles, how are you? <laughs> I'm pretty good, Paul. How you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing really good. We're enjoying a few of the last nice days of fall here. I'm getting some housework done, work on the uh, the garage and the home, and that feels good. <clears throat> and got a bunch of gigs coming as I'm celebrating my 40th anniversary in town with a birthday nice. gig coming up, So, which is going to kind of coincide uh, with your coming to town. My uh, personal plug, I'm doing my... Uh, 64th birthday show with my buddy Tim O'Keefe, Metzen O'Keefe, at the Hideaway Lounge on uh, 219 Southeast Main Street on Friday, November 1st, starting at 7.30, no cover. I invited you to come in, but uh, uh, you're flying in later that evening to perform at the Dakota with your band on Saturday, uh, November 2nd. Right. Saturday, November 2nd. But I will be with you in spirit spirit to celebrate that 64 buddy I'm beautiful and you're going to come down to my show on saturday oh yeah i'm i'm, I'm so there i'm so there i'll bring my axe stuff up oh yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get it done and then of course you've got that uh, book that i haven't read the whole thing but i've read several chapters weeds like mm-hmm. us and i agree with your father-in-law who said there was a lot of blood on the floor after i <laughs> There's a bit of blood on the floor, dear. Um, he's English, right? That's my bad in- impersonation sure. of my father-in-law. Um, yeah, you know, um, if you're going to tell the story, then tell the story. And part of that right? story start, starts out in Minnesota. Tell us about your Minnesota roots, Jennifer Magnus. Right. So I have very deep uh, Twin Cities area roots, um, Minneapolis, St. Paul, White Bear Lake, Stillwater, oh, Afton, um, you know, um, Northeast uh, Minneapolis for a while. Um, it well, didn't you tell and Forest Lake, it goes on and on. So, Geneva, Geneva, didn't you tell me, uh, we had, you know, we've, it's been fun to, to uh, talk and help you coordinate some of these gigs in town. But didn't you tell me you smoked your first cigarette at the beach in Afton when you were like 12? I was 10, and yes, <laughs> at, the, at, the, at the Afton, at the Afton, the beach in Afton, which was just a little like, it was nothing. It was nothing, you know. Right. Uh, I'm sure it's much lovelier now, and it's probably been cleaned up. But my, um, 
my I was you know tagging along. I was the pesky kid sister tagging along with my older sister and her girlfriend, and they were like, "We're going to the beach," and I was like, "Oh, there you go!" And uh, so I tagged along, you know, um, to much to my sister's chagrin. And right. at one point, she wanted me to watch her stuff. You stay here and watch my stuff. Don't touch it. Just watch it, right? And so. <laughs> She went While we go swimming, right? Somewhere. While we go swimming. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> I don't know where they went, but all I know is they left that pack of cigarettes, and she was out of sight, and the second she was out of sight, I pulled one of those things and lit it. Yeah, I was 10. Marlboro. <laughs> wow. Red pack. Just yeah. jump on that big horse and ride. Well, you know, if you're going to do it. Yeah. Do it right. So, so Je- uh, yeah. So you're in Minnesota. So when did you start uh, performing? I kind of came in the back door with performance, but I started for, for my very first official gig, which we hadn't talked about, so this is fun, was at the Burnsville Bowl. Oh, sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> in the 70s. Rock right, on. Course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And um, Burnsville Bowl. I've never had the pleasure, I, by the way, personally, but yeah, I'm very familiar <laughs> with it. Um, well, they used to have a lot of live bands. I don't, sure. know, I don't even know if that place is there anymore, but they had a lot of live bands. And I got, I auditioned for a gig. Um, I was 19 years old, which is a, in music business years, that's a late bloomer. But I was 19 years old. I auditioned for a gig and I actually got the gig and it was with the John Stafford Big Band. Wow. So it was a 16 piece brass band, Whew. four female singers. And an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> of course. <Okay. laughs> of true course. Story. True story, Paul, because why would you make that up? Yeah, right. So, um, and we did everything from, you know, obviously the Elvis stuff to, um, you know, play that funky music, White Boy, sure. the, the music of the times, to um, some R&B stuff, to Andrew Sisters stuff. Um, so it was, it was really, really interesting. That's and, what you call, um, that was my first official gig. That's what you call a variety band. It was. Yeah. <laughs> God bless yeah. them. I mean, that's a lot of, you know, I go back and uh, listen to that. I remember when disco came on the scene and you go back and listen to that, that stuff. There was some really great disco tunes. There were. I love, you know, one of the other tunes we did, uh, was rubber band man. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, and then we did, you know, uh, the Andrew Sisters stuff, you know, right. I mean, it's, you know, the biggest hit for the Andrew Sisters was by Mir Bistu Shane. Right. Well, and let's not forget right? the Andrew Sisters were from Minnesota. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a big wow. deal. Yeah. Wow. You know the other guy? I did not know. Here's another one you probably don't know. Another famous musician from Minnesota, besides the obvious ones we all know, Mitch Miller. Really? Yep. My grandmother loved Mitch Miller. (laughs) My mother loved Al Hurt, and she always, my mother was a really good singer herself, never sang professionally, but had a wonderful Mm -hmm. voice. And she loved Al Hurt, she loved Dixie Lynch, she loved Dizzy Gillespie, but she always had this really crazy thing she'd say. She goes, I don't, she goes, I'd love to see Al Hurt naked. <laughs> Which I think she meant, you know, because Your mom he, and my mom might have been, might have, might have, could have been friends there, Paul. Your mom and my mom, because 
my mom loved Elvis. Okay. And was the deal. She'd be in the kitchen, because where else would your wife be? So right. she was, at you know, in the 60s, 50s and 60s. She'd be in the kitchen, and Dad would be in front of the TV with a beer with a raw egg in it. Right? Sure. And, and, and Elvis would come on, let's say Ed Sullivan or something. Sure. And my mom would run out of the kitchen and whip, whipping her apron off and throwing it on the floor and start like dancing, <laughs> you know, next to the TV. And my dad would jump up so fast and just turn the TV off. He'd be like, nope. <laughs> Jealous Elvis. Didn't like that Elvis crap, I'll tell you what. <laughs> well, I think in my I'd mom's like, case, she, my mom yeah. just wanted to see how big his chest was for because uh, uh, <laughs> he was pushing all that air. We're going to move on really quickly right now with Jennifer Magnus. Okay. We're going to listen to a tune of yours here in a bit called Change in the Weather. What record is that from? You've got 12 of them out there for damn sakes. Okay, well, doggone it, Wilbur, I'm going to correct you. This is number 15, not 12. Wow. But yeah, I'm you know I'm I'm stubborn. I'm stubborn. Um, this album is titled "Change in the Weather." Jennifer Magnus sings John Fogerty, and it's all John oh, Fogerty. Wow! So um, I'm pretty, but it's me doing it. It's sure. not you know, you know. And so I'm I'm pretty pleased with it, and people seem to really be digging it. "Change in the Weather" um, is uh, you know what's what's interesting is when my producer and I were trying to figure out break it down to which songs we were actually going to do, which was a huge chore, by the way. Right. is such a brilliant writer. But but we were both really moved. It was just profound how relative so many of his songs still are. Yeah. Fortunate Son, by yeah. the way. I oh, mean, yeah. I was 12 and, or 13 and, when that came out, and not only is it a great song, it was during the height of the Vietnam War, you know, I was ready to get my uh, draft number just, uh, you know, a handful of years away from there, and uh, that yep. tune is as powerful now as it was back in 1968. Yep, and that's also on the album, and then, so you go Fortunate Son, and then you go to the next time Fogarty penned something quite that intense, you might say would have been deja vu all over again. So fortunate son was about the Vietnam war and deja vu all over again was about the, the war in Iraq. God bless John Fogarty. We've got Jennifer Magnus on for the whole show tonight. She's coming in town next Saturday, November 2nd at the Dakota. We're going to listen to her version of Fogarty's change in the weather. And we'll be on with Jennifer all night on the wall of our radio hour. Welcome back to the second set on the Wall and Power Radio Hour tonight. I'm your host, Paul Metzit, a lovely woman, very talented singer, and now author Jennifer Magnus 
on the phone from Los Angeles. She's playing at the Dakota Saturday, November 2nd, and then she will be talking about her book at Majors and Quinn at 30th and Hennepin, the greatest bookstore in the Twin Cities, 5 o'clock Saturday, November 3rd. Geneva, so you're, you're playing around in Minneapolis. Uh, tell us a little bit about, let's follow you around on your little career path here and, uh, and tell us how you finally got into singing blues. Yeah, so I had, um, I had had the remarkable experience, the gift, really, um, of getting exposed to some really heavy blues at a very young age. I didn't know that at the time. It's all hindsight. You know how right. painfully clear that is, right? I shoulda, woulda, coulda, right? So I got exposed before I ever started actually trying the thing uh, with John Stafford Band or anybody else um, at a much younger age, like five years earlier, when I was like, you know, I was listening and hearing blues on the radio as well as some of my dad's record collection, but my... A profound thing happened when I was 14. It was a good year. Uh, you know, a lot of great stuff happened. I got into uh, see Otis Rush play on a Tuesday night at the Union Bar over Northeast. Oh, wow. It was like a Tuesday night or something, and mm-hmm. I had like, you know, I was particularly down in the dumps, so I hitched across town. It was in December, I believe. It was a whiteout snowstorm, but I didn't care about any of that. You know, you're from Minnesota. You're you're Minnesota tough, you know. And uh, so I hitched a ride across town and and flashed my fake ID and got into the Union (laughs) Bar to see somebody. I didn't even know who he was. I had some friends that were like, you need to see this guy. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. I go in, I pay my $2.30, right, to get in. And it was literally a ticket that transported me, $2.30 transported me into an entire different um, experience that I have never had in my life. And so that that year was Otis Rush. That year was also B.B. King, my friend, at the Met Sports Center. Wow. Doing the opening, wait, 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 doing the (laughs) opening slot for Quicksilver Messenger Service. Wow. (laughs) John Cipollina, yeah. Right? And so I really didn't care too much about Quicksilver. I was there for B. Right. Okay? Because I knew by then, you know, by the summer of my being 14 years old, I was like, yeah, okay, I know what's happening now. So so I knew it was coming with B.B. King, and, uh, you know, it was a great year. So I got exposed to that level of um communication because that's what it was it Mm -hmm. was a communication from the bandstand from one of the most profound chicago blues artists to have ever existed oh yeah um with a complete chicago head cutting band yeah you know they were literally having a fight backstage they were arguing and screaming (laughs) with each other on the breaks backstage and then they'd come out on the bandstand, and they were just like, they just as soon cut your throat than look you in the eye. Sure. It just was that, it was really that tough. But the performance, I mean, you know, Otis Rush played literally every note, and every every note he sang was like his life depended on yeah. him. And what happened there for me, and actually I talk about it in my book, was that I had this, 
awakening that was it broke me down it huh. broke me down that performance and and all i knew is i started to chase that i left the club at whatever you know 2:30 in the morning the next day hitching a ride back home and i I'm telling you, I just, all I knew, I didn't even know what happened. All I knew is I needed to have that experience again. So I started hmm. to chase that thing. That, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, totally. I started to, yeah. Well, you know, too, uh, you know, I moved to town in 78, and back then, Danny Muss and, and his mother uh, ran the Union Bar. And you look back, mm. I look back at the shows I saw there, and then I ended up playing there for years. Uh, I really actually played with my band, Cats Under the Stars, my very first gig with the Paul Metza group in December 84 was at the Union. And uh, I played wow. there a lot, made a lot of money, made a lot of friends there over the years. Yep. But I remember seeing... Muddy Waters' last Minneapolis show was at the Union. Uh, you, wow. I remember Albert Collins, uh, Lonnie Brooks, yep. Yep. Um, Johnny Winter. Uh, Flora, we opened yep. up for Flora Perim in Ayerto, which was a phenomenal <laughs> show as right. well. But he would right. have, you know, back in the day, Lonnie Brooks and Albert Collins, they'd have those 300-foot guitar chords and they'd start oh i know you know they'd start on the stage and what walk through the dance floor and then through the front bar and then onto the street but uh you know a lot of credit should be uh should be bent towards the must family for bringing all those great uh blues blues musicians to town for three to five dollar cover i'm saying i'm just saying like what a what a fertile beautiful period of time um you know all of those artists that you said and more um you know lazy lester um and then i used to go to northrop auditorium and see the shows there and then i would go i mean it was just wherever it was there was a place called the whole coffee house in the basement of the then um um uh, the student union kaufman union and i used to kaufman union and i used to go down there um, and see shows, um, Sonny Terry, Barney McGee. I mean, oh, I yeah. just, you know, it, I saw Roland Kirk there. I mean, really, right. you know, yeah. um, and you just went, you just went, you know, oh, I saw and Doc was, Watt. there was always a line and it was always sold out, but it was always incredible music. So, so that was like really a, um, a, um, a telling of, you know, of the sort of, of my heart. Um, being exposed to that early music. So later on, you know, at the ripe old age of 19, um, I just wanted, I wanted to say, I wanted to give it a try. You wanted wanted some of that. And I've been chasing those experiences and wouldn't come to understand until quite a bit later that that was the, the mark that was drawn for me early in those experiences. Like I want to, I want to be able to, affect one person even half that much from the bandstand if i can get ever get to a bandstand that was my view at the time well i've Um, seen you perform twice and you mm -hmm. do more than one person at a time jennifer magnus (laughs) we're going to listen to uh, jennifer's version of lodi off her john forty cover record and then be back with uh, miss magnus for the whole show on the wall Seeking my fame and fortune We're looking for a 
Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzler. We just heard my friend on the other line, Miss Jennifer Magnus, sing, wrote a song for everyone, a John Fogarty tune. And uh, boy, did that sound good, Jennifer. How did you come up with this uh, idea to do uh, Fogarty tunes? Yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, on my album, Love Wins Again, which was the Grammy-nominated one in uh, 2016, um, I had one cover song. It was all originals except for one track, and that was um, a John Fogarty song. And it was so much fun. It was so joyful and wonderful to to do that track. That was as long as I can see the light mm-hmm. um, in, in 2016. Um, it was so wonderful to sing. It just sort of like reminded me, sort of reignited the whole, yeah, Fogarty, it's great. What a great source for material. What a brilliant writer. And so when it came time to do the next album, um, my producer and I sort of at the same time said, what about the idea of doing a covers record? Because I've been doing, you know, writing songs for a while now on several album cycles, Mm -hmm. um, which is, by the way, not for the faint of heart. You know that, writing (laughs) material. But um, I thought it was going to make really good sense because the amount of bandwidth that it takes internally um, to to write the material and then to record an original um, album is, it, it just takes a whole lot more. Not to say that doing a covers album is easier. I don't mean it that way, but the amount of energy and the kind of energy that it takes oh, yeah. to do original stuff versus, versus doing, you know, uncovering something hopefully different in covering someone else's song. Right. Um, it's a different it's a different amount of energy it's a different tapping and at the same time that we were getting ready to work on this album changing the weather mm-hmm. i was trying to get my you know bleep bleep book finished right. okay i was trying to get the damn book done and i was you know i was in the i was in the in the weeds or on the rocks with the thing it was the last 6 months um of getting it finished and everything that's involved. And you also know about that being an author I yourself. Sure so, so, um, I was, I was kind of, I was kind of in it and I thought, you know, this will make really good sense for me because it'll give me the bandwidth that I need to also finish the book. Right. So I was literally, I was literally given birth to twins, the book mm-hmm. and the album at the same time. The record company thought it was a great idea. Blue Alon, they were well, thrilled at the idea of me doing a Fogarty album. So I was like, okay, check that off. No pressure there. Boom. And we just went ahead and went forward with it. That's how that happened. Wow. So let me ask you something. Um, I have, I'm have. i putting out a, a new record for me. Actually, it's from an old session I did in 96. It's going to be called Walking in a Woman's World. And I found mm. it kind of in my archive. 
<clears throat> and it was some of the tunes I had re-released with Sonny Earl and uh, somebody else. But anyway, I found several of these tunes that I'd never released. And it was, uh, I, I recorded in 96. It was two years after my mother died, uh, a few months mm. after my sister-in-law died in a tragic accident. I was still missing mm. the love of my life that, that I had uh, lost years earlier. Uh, still pining for it towards the end. May she rest in peace. But uh, uh, it was something about that session that, and I just did one, two, I just did one, 11 songs right in a row, one after the other, no solos. And I listened back to it and I said, man, that's exactly who I was at that time. Emotionally, very distraught, but powerful in, in my own way because I had written these tunes. And this is a long way around to ask you, when you, especially when you're writing songs for your record, Geneva, do you ever find yourself after you recorded one of these songs go, "Damn, I liked the demo version better." Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I have that conversation with uh, my producer, and he goes, "Yeah, but we're not using it." <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you know? yeah, it's and good. I day. trust him. You know, you know why he gets away with that statement because I trust him. Yeah, but you know what I'm talking about. I do. You know, because I've done so, I've written so many songs at my kitchen table into a cassette player, and I've listened to it. And you know what? It's so exciting, as you know, to finally hear a finished song, right? Even if it's just you and a guitar, you and a piano, uh, and it, there's just a certain excitement there that you really have to work hard to get if you're going to re-record it, especially if you're going to re-record it with a band. At least that's yeah. what I find. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and it, it just some. There are some songs that seem to have um, that their truth exists in a simpler place. Right now, let's get right. back. Speaking of uh, blood on the floor and bearing your soul, tell us <laughs> what the process was like uh, writing your uh, your book, which in the few chapters I've read, I love, uh, called "Weeds Like Us." What was that process like? It took six years for me to write it once I committed to writing it. I, I um, have known my entire life, uh, you know, I've been thinking a lot, I'm thinking like an adult a lot longer than I've been an adult, let's put mm-hmm. it that way, right? Grown up too fast. But I've known my whole life that I should write a book. I just didn't want to do it. I just it wasn't anybody's business. It's none of yeah. your business. You know, and just shut your pie hole, right? That's, right? that's all inner dialogue, by the way. Sure. And, um, you know, when I finally raised the white flag and, and decided I was going to do it and committed to do it, the universe seemed to conspire mm-hmm. um, and put people and situations in my path that would, you know, it's like you're, like you're finding breadcrumbs on a trail kind of a thing. Sure. Um, and so... There was that, and that was encouraging. At the same time, it was it was hard because the story, um, which is my story, it's a memoir. Is um, my father-in-law put it aptly? The first half of the book, there's quite a bit of blood on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, my father, you know, one of the last things my father ever said to me before he passed was, "The truth will set you free." Hmm. And I thought to myself, in in all of my arrogance, you know, 
13-year-old screaming hormonal young girl self, you fool. You don't know what you're talking about. Right. But actually, of course, he was right. You know, it's funny you should say that. Oh, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm sorry. And so so there was a lot. For me, the process was difficult. The process was beautiful. The process was life-changing um it's the biggest remodel to my insides that i'll probably ever see so you're saying cathartic really at the end of the day yeah that's the word it's the c word cathartic it's funny you mentioned uh your dad saying the truth shall set you free when i got my book deal Mm -hmm. from the university of minnesota press about nine years ago, I called my dad to share the, the good news with him, knowing that if I was really going to tell the story, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, Jennifer Magnus, yep. you have to just rip off every scab, take off every veil in front of you uh, okay. to really portray what the life you actually led. So I called my dad, and I said, you know, Dad, some of this is going to be really hard for you to read, not only about what he didn't know about you know, my experiences, but some about his drinking and how he, we lost him for years into the bottle. He came back, mm-hmm. thank God, and uh, ended up on top of the mountain. But when I told him that, he said immediately without skipping a beat, and this was who my dad was, and it sounds like he was like your dad, he said, he said, son, tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And it did. It set me free. Yeah, and it does. I think it does. And it, But it is not, uh, it is not for the faint of heart. No. Uh, making the commitment to do it um, and and doing so is just simply not for the faint of heart, and that's okay. I don't think I don't think there's been a one day in my entire life that I've actually been a lightweight. Right. <laughs> I just don't. I just don't think it's in my DNA, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, you know. Um, so well, it, you know, you're, you're writing it. You've been, you've been singing, you, you, you're a woman has been making a living singing, recording blues for how many years? I mean... 43, 43 yeah, years. I know what that takes. I mean, as a guy uh, playing blues, you're a woman playing blues. And uh, yeah, I mean, I there's nobody more than Paul Metz or Jennifer Magnus that knows <laughs> the type of life you've led and survived and prospered, I might add. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, you know, and 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 the whole the whole thing is, you know, um, you can't really understand who I am, what I am, or where I am until you understand what I come from, mm-hmm. who I come from, and where I come from. So. So it's all—it's literally all in the book. I, I sort of, sort of, not too jokingly say it's all the dirt, all the details, and all the hope. Mm-hmm. It's all there, and so, you know, I did have to change um, some of the names um, for privacy and some for my own safety. Sure, I'm not joking, and you know, um, the good news is is that that early difficult part is not the defining 
moment of my life right. any longer. I don't live in that cut. I call it living in the cut. I don't live in that cut anymore. Mm-hmm. And that is a series. That's not a miracle. That's a series of miracles. Right. And I'm and I'm really, um, really grateful to be on the receiving end of that. You know, um, people would say to me early in my career, but, you know, come on, you're like this white girl, you know, come on. You know, yeah, I mean, because I present pretty well. I clean up okay, sure. you know. Um, you know, how can, you know, what do you know about, you know, what do you, you know. And then and then as time went on and I started making records, people would say, hey, you know, where, if it's, how can you possibly, like, where does all this intensity come from? Right. Because you're pretty intense. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I, at that point in my career and in my life, I'm still thinking it's none of your goddamn business. <laughs> it's none of your business. Say, uh, and so- now I just want to say, read the book. <laughs> Right. We's like us. We've got Jennifer Magnus on. She's at the Dakota, November 2nd, Saturday, Sunday at Majors and Quinn with her new book. We'll have her on the Wall of Power Radio for one more set. Stay tuned. Don't you wish it was true? Don't you wish it was true? An angel took my hand. She said, "Don't have to hurry. God, all the time in the world, don't worry. Don't you wish it was true? I do. Lord, don't you wish it was true? But if tomorrow everybody was your friend, everybody was your friend, anyone could take you in. No matter what or where you've been Oh, no But if tomorrow Everybody had enough The world wasn't quite so rough Welcome back to the last set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzer. We just heard my guest, Jennifer Magnus, and the great Taj Mahal duet on a song called don't you wish it was true? And it was true. You sang with Taj. Tell us how that came about, because I bowed down to Taj Mahal. Well, you and several other, you know. Thousands of musicians. Thousands yeah. of people. <laughs> I just take a number, man. Me too. Me too. And so um, I have, over the course of time, and you know how this happens, Paul, um, when you stick around on the campus long enough, you pretty right. much meet everybody. You meet all the teachers and the students, right. right? You meet the principal, you meet everybody after a while. And that's the case with Taj for me. I met him. I, I had opened shows for him before, but he would never remember that. I would certainly remember that. But then um, I met him during the Blues Music Awards in Memphis um, one year. And it was the first year that I won. I believe that was 2006. And um, I won Best Contemporary Female Artist of the Year the first time that year. And um, he stopped me in the lobby. He stopped me in the lobby um, to compliment me uh, about my performance. And, you know, actually, it's all in the book because it was a really significant moment. From that point forward, we have become friends. And um, would see him on legendary blues cruises and different festivals and so on and so forth. You know the campus, as right. we call it. And uh, we just got to be friends. And I love talking with him. He's an incredibly 
uh, knowledgeable man about a lot of stuff. He's clearly world-traveled and is very, very, very bright. Uh, he's a joy to speak with and a joy to listen to. And, you know, his influence on me started very young because of the Taj, early Taj Mahal stuff. I mean, I named my daughter after one of his songs. Her middle <laughs> name is Karina. Nice. Right? Karina, Karina. That's a beautiful right? tune. Right? And I- so, um, you know, that's, that's a lot of depth for me. Um, when he stopped me in the lobby in Memphis during the Blues Music Awards, and said what he said to me. He was so complimentary and so intense. I made my way to the ladies' room and went in the bathroom stall and started bawling. Oh, I just started wow. crying. Oh, man. I was like, Wah! You know? You know, my... Uh, um, my... Go ahead. So I called him up. I called him up. I said, you know, Dave and I, my producer and I, were, were tracking this song. And Dave looks at me and he goes, man, I said, this is totally like Taj, isn't it? Great. This is totally like Taj. He goes, wouldn't it be great if he would do a duet with you? And I went... Why didn't I call him? And I called him and asked him. He goes, send me the track. And I said, <laughs> I said, okay. And I sent him the track, and then I called him back. He goes, I love it. Let's do it. And I went, okay. All righty, then. So I, it was like a real moment. I oh, I'm sure it was, and it sounded great. Yeah. I, I Thank you. Played my very first show, a uh, big show under my own name in 1984. I opened up for Taj Mahal solo mm-hmm. at the North Shore mm-hmm. Theater in Duluth. Taj does yep. a two and a half hour show, nonstop. <laughs> Goes next door where Dave Snakery was playing, who is an old buddy of Taj's. They play for an right. hour and a half. We end up back on the hills in Duluth at midnight. We are playing a party together, Taj and I and a couple other uh, musicians from Duluth. We play until 3.34 in the morning. So Taj has been on, I don't know, six, seven hours playing music straight. I remember, Jennifer, you had a hoodie on with a button that said 40 and feeling sexy. And finally, <laughs> at about, finally at about four in the morning, I said, Taj, you win. I got to go back to the hotel. It's been an honor. <laughs> Jennifer yeah. Magnus, now we want to let the people out there in the Wall of Power Radio Hour know that you're coming to town uh, next week. You will be in town on Saturday, November 2nd, playing at the Dakota uh, with your band the day after uh, Sunday, November 3rd. You'll be at Mages and Quinn talking about your book, uh, Weeds Like Us. Uh, tell us who's going to be in the band at the Dakota, Jennifer. Right. So my drummer's name is Steve Wilson. Uh, guitar player's name is Steve Dawson. We call him Steve Squared. Um, bass player is Gary Davenport, who's been with me for, geez, 19 years or so. He knows pretty much where all the bodies are. <laughs> and um, myself. So it's the trio behind me, and everybody sings harmony, and I'm really looking forward to coming back to the Dakota. It's just a delightful space. Great room. Not a bad seat in the house, by the way. Great yeah. food. Well, and, and great uh, great food and drinks, but also great sound men down there. Craig Eichhorn yeah. is the main yeah. guy. Craig is... We are blessed with so many great sound men at the different clubs and uh, and the touring shows uh, here in Minneapolis. Gentlemen, this has been so wonderful to talk to you. Boy, I haven't seen you since uh, the famous Dave's uh, days, which is, I know. man, that had to be 10 years ago. Um, so we've got a little under 50 seconds left. What's up for 2020 for Miss Jennifer Magnus? 
Um, you know, I'm going to just continue touring. What I'm doing is I'm cherry picking, as we say, um, author, trying to schedule author events around some of the tour dates. So that the next one will be Minneapolis, uh, the Dakota, and then paired with Magers and Quinn, which I'm really happy to be at. And then on into, you know, Denver and so on and so forth. So check Janovamagnus.com for tour dates. In 2020, I'm going to be uh, going to Panama to wow. do a festival down there in Boqueta. And I'm super excited about that. I'm going to be, um, actually, I'm going to be at the Folk Alliance conference in january um at uh in new orleans which i'm really stoked about Boy, does that, sound like, to be on, that sounds like fun. right yeah that sounds like a non-stop party and i think it will be so i'm stoked <laughs> about that um then i'm gonna um do a really special um train trip from new orleans to memphis where there's going to be an announcement about that uh, soon so watch com for that because that's a special. Um, we're going to take over a train car and be doing workshops, and there's going to be a bunch of blues artists on that train car making that trip. It's really going to be cool. Jennifer um, Magnus, you got a lot going on. We'll look forward to seeing yeah. you next weekend. Uh, people check uh, Jennifer out jennifermagnus.com. It's been wonderful talking to you, hon, and I can't wait to see you again. Thanks, Paul. Looking forward to it. Rock on. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This show was produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Eric Nelson. We'd like to thank my guest, Miss Jennifer Magnus. I'm celebrating my 40th anniversary from my first gig in town in Minneapolis. We're kicking things off the first of several shows. It will be my birthday show on Friday, November 1st, All Saints Day at the Highway Bar, which is at 219 Southeast Main Street, just down the street from the St. Anthony Main Theater. Show starts at 730, no cover. It will be Metza and O'Keefe, my buddy Tim O'Keefe. We started playing together 45 years ago, and we're reuniting for the special show. Got more shows coming up, but come on down to my birthday party. And remember, like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. More info on all this at paulmetza.com. Oh, it's all the week back. What is life was worth? And no one told the strong man.